never able to truly enjoy life the way that God wants them to enjoy it. But tonight, I want to show you through God's word how we can break free from that bondage of always feeling inferior. Tonight, we're going to study someone that is very familiar to us. We're going to be in the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 3 and 4, and we're going to look at Moses. Even today, people will regard Moses as one of the greatest spiritual leaders who ever lived. And yet Moses, as we're going to see, struggled during a time in his life with feeling inferior. Many of you know the story, or at least you saw the movie, The Prince of Egypt, and we know that uh, Moses was hiding. And listen, The Prince of Egypt will teach you some things, you hear me? <laughs> we know that Moses was hiding. He was hiding on the backside of the desert in the wilderness, hiding from his fears, from his failures, thinking that when God called him, that God couldn't use him. But let's look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. It's on your papers. We're going to read this together. It's 11 verses. Amen. Now Moses. Y'all did real good. Amen. Before you turn the page, I want you to underline verse 7 and 11 because we're going to be coming back to those quite often. Verse 11 says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Why do many of us like Moses struggle so much with feeling inferior? I'm glad you asked. Miriam Webster defines inferior as, a as of little or less importance, value, or merit. And some synonyms are lesser, secondary, uh, menial, subordinate, and underneath. I want to give you two reasons why so we sometimes feel inferior. Next slide. The first is I would like to believe many of us, like Moses, have this thought in the back of our head. I've tried and I failed. Next slide. There are some people in life who try to do something and they fail, and at that moment, when it doesn't turn out the way they thought it would or the way they envisioned it, 
they throw up their hands and say, I ain't never doing that again. Let's be honest, we get an attitude and we say, you ain't never gonna put me in that position again. <laughs> or I'll never get in a spot where maybe I might try something and I might fail. Therefore, we go through the rest of our lives never trying anything that's gonna push us outside our comfort zone because we are ultimately scared of failure. Let's take, for instance, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is considered one of the greatest basketball players who ever lived, and yet Michael Jordan talks about the number of times he has tried shots and missed. I say that to say Moses could have easily said, Lord, I tried and I failed. It had been 40 years since Moses was last in Egypt, and his departure then hadn't been on good terms. In Exodus chapter 2, we find Moses essentially spying on his people and sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Moses ends up killing the Egyptian and burying him in the sand. Let's go ahead and read Exodus chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. The next day. At this point, Moses had already tried to deliver his people from Egyptian oppression, and the result was that he was ridiculed by his own people and hated by Pharaoh. How could God possibly use him now? I'm glad you asked. Very few people are able to overcome a past failure. For many of us, uh, once we try something and fail, we could put a fork in it, and we're done. Like, we ain't trying it no more. Uh, listen. As far as we've, uh, we're concerned, we're never going to put ourselves in that kind of position again. But the Bible is full of people who tried and failed. Let's look at my homeboy, Peter. <laughs> Listen. Peter a thug now. I consider myself a Holy Ghost thug. So Peter claimed that he would rather die than deny the Lord. Yet we know that he did not once but three times deny him. Afterwards, Peter was so devastated about his failure that he withdrew himself from the rest of the disciples. Peter, it, if not for a personal challenge from the Lord himself, Peter might not have ever became an active member of the early church. Jesus was not content for Peter to succumb to his failure. As Peter had denied the Lord three times, Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Each time Peter replied, Lord, you know I do. Jesus commanded, then feed my sheep. In other words, Jesus was telling Peter, there's a lot to do, so get over it and get to work. Using my homiletic imagination, I can see Jesus telling Peter, now you done had your little pity party, and um, it's time to get over it, because there's a whole lot of work to get done. I know Jesus, the knower of all things, wanted to tell Peter that just in a few days, he was going to preach a message, and 3,000 people were going to be saved. Now, Jesus didn't verbally say this, but if you read the Bible in Acts chapter 2, you know what happened. A few days after the 3,000, Peter preached again, and 5,000 people were saved. If Peter had stayed discouraged, 8,000 people would not have been added to the body of Christ. 8,000 people would not have been added to the body of Christ. Jesus is saying, yes, Peter, you failed me, but I know that deep in your heart you love me. I have forgiven you, so now it's time for you to get up and get busy. Peter, don't live in this feeling. Don't go into this feeling of the bondage of feeling inferior the rest of your life. Don't go into this pity party and soak within yourself never and never serve me again. I believe that Jesus is saying, Peter, 
I've got a lot of work for you to do, so come on now, dust yourself off and get to work. Another example of a man who failed in scripture is David. You know the story. David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and then schemed and had her husband killed and tried to cover it up. We know that the, Nathan, that the prophet Nathan went to David and said, the Lord has already put away your sins and has already decided to forgive you. And prepare, preparing for this, I was like, yo, God, why are you going to forgive this trifling dude? And then God checked me. He was like, girl, you trifling too, but my grace <laughs> has covered you. <laughs> Listen, it, my grace has been covering you a long time. So the Bible tells us that God chose David because David was a man after God's own heart. God knows what's, the, what's in the depths of our heart, thus he knows whether or not we truly love him. God had decided to forgive David, but David never forgave himself and could not move beyond his failure. It is important to remember, yes, we may fail, but in the words of 2 Corinthians 12, 9, I think it's on here, next slide. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Translated to me, regardless if we fail, God got us, and what greater feeling is that? This alone should boost our confidence just thinking about it. So the first cause of inferiority is? I believe another reason that many of us, like Moses, struggle is sometimes we feel like a no. Sometimes I feel like a nobody. Does anybody ever feel like a nobody? Like, I'd be feeling like, listen, I'm just a nobody. If we are really just... <laughs> If we would really just open up and tell other people the truth, we have kind of felt like a nobody at some point in our lives. Personally, I sometimes feel like, who am I that God would do X, Y, and Z or give me the opportunities to do certain things? I'm just a nobody. There was a time when Moses thought he was a nobody. The word tells us that he was a man of impaired speech, meaning that he had a little stuttering problem. Moses had no idea how he was supposed to deliver his people. Moses spent a great deal of his life beating himself up and tearing himself down with negative thoughts. The Bible tells us, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Y'all be reading the Bible, okay? This, uh, this suggests to me that if you want to control your life, you've got to control your thought life. Ultimately, your thought life is what determines how you act outwardly. Let's read Philippians 4, verse 8. Paul says to the Philippians, therefore, you got to think about whatever things are good and whatever things are lovely, whatever things are pure, meaning we got to fill our mind with the good thoughts and the good things if we want to exhibit that outwardly. I don't know about you, but Satan attacks me through my thought life. He attacks me when I'm going back and forth in my own head, like my mind be roaming and Satan be moving. Can anybody else relate? Listen. It's e but it's easy for Satan to come in when I'm the one causing the attack. Like, when I catch myself doing this, I have to turn on some worship music and deliberately focus my attention to God. Rather than giving my mind to the devil and let him fill my mind with negative and unproductive thoughts, I have to fill my mind with good thoughts so that I can outwardly express those thoughts in worship to God. But when we look at Moses, we see that he hadn't done that. He had been filling his mind with negative thoughts so that when finally God was ready to use Moses, all Moses could say was, who am I? Who was Moses? 
Moses was the vessel that God had chosen to use. Do you know that the Bible teaches us that God chooses and God uses nobody? Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. Come on, let's read. why God chooses the weak things of this world. We just read it in verse 28 through 29. God chooses the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. This simply translates, it's because he does not want the vessel itself to receive the glory. He wants what's in the vessel, which is himself, to receive the glory. So therefore, God chooses to take people from rough and unlikely circumstances and begins to do a work in their life, allowing them to do what seems like the impossible. But all, all of us know with man it may be impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Listen, I'm a living witness. God took a little girl from the hood, the hood, and I should have been caught up simply because of my environment. But God saw fit to stamp me with the blood and use me for his glory. You're looking at somebody that should have lost their mind a long time ago, but somebody say, but God. So the first cause of inferiority is, and the second is, God chooses and uses nobodies. Always feeling inferior can become a form of spiritual bondage. It can keep us from becoming who God created us to be. So how do we break free from this bondage of always feeling inferior? I got four points. Number one, we have to focus on God's presence in our life. We already read uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. It said, Moses said to God, but God, who am I? God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses was basically like, yo, God, I can't go. And you know I got this little stuttering situation. I can't stand before Pharaoh. I'm, I'm sure Moses was thinking, the last time I saw this man, he literally kicked me out of Egypt and I failed. Moses was like, God, I can't do it. You, you got the wrong guy. Moses was too busy focusing on his own abilities or lack thereof. And he said, who am I to do this? I'm not worthy. Essentially, he was like, I tried and I failed. I'm just a nobody. Yet what the Lord wanted was for Moses to understand that he, it was not about him or his abilities. It was about God using him in order to accomplish his will. If we look at the scripture, Moses was already guaranteed success. We read it in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. The Lord said he was concerned about their suffering. God is simply saying, Moses, it's not about you. I'm not asking you to do something in your own strength. He was like, let's be realistic. I've seen what you can do in your own strength, and it ain't much. Like, but I want to take you, and I want to yield you for, I want, to yield, you, I want you to yield your life to me so that I can use you for my glory. 
If we keep reading in chapter 3, verse 12, God said, I will be with thee. We learned uh, a few, we need to learn how to walk and live in the presence of God. There are so many verses of scripture that God uses to reassure us of his presence. Jesus said to his disciples before he sent them out to evangelize to the world, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. He said, Jesus, I, Jesus, am with you. Another passage of scripture is Joshua 1, verses 5 through 6. Come on, let's read. Isn't that amazing? Joshua is afraid to try to fill the shoes of Moses, and little did Joshua know that Moses was on the backside of a desert 40 years early talking about God. I can't do it. I can't do it. He was looking up to a man who thought he couldn't do it. So the first way we can break free from the bondage of always feeling inferior is to focus on God. The second way we can break free from the bondage of always feeling inferior is we need to focus on God's power. Somebody say focus on God's power. Moses said, but God, I'm not qualified and I don't have the experience. In fact, I'm only a shepherd and even then I'm keeping my father-in-law's sheep. Let's look at Exodus chapter 3 verses 13 through 14. learned a few weeks ago that there is no actual English equivalent for the name that is used here. Some have translated to Yahweh, which is not even really that close of a translation. Others have used the word name Jehovah. The Jews so feared mispronouncing the great name of God that in their writings they substituted Adonai, which in the, our common translation is Lord. What is the meaning of I am that I am? Probably the simplest way to boil it down is that I am that I am is the self-existing one. The word tells us that he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Let's go ahead and read verse 15. This is the God who is, who always has been, and who always will be. God was essentially telling Moses to tell the people that the all in all will always be their all in all. So in order to break free from the bondage of always feeling inferior, we must, one, two, I'm moving quickly. Listen, I told you I only had four points. The third way to break free from the bondage of always feeling inferior is that we need to focus on God's purpose. Again, we already read Exodus chapter 3 verse 7 and said, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. God was telling Moses, I'm not sending you to deliver them. I'm going to be the one to deliver them. You're just the vessel that I chose to use to get the job done. God was like, I'm going to bring them out into the land flowing with milk and honey. When God sets a task before us to get done, he is doing it so that it brings him glory. 
God is not saying, I want you to go out and do something for me. God is saying, I already got this process going, but I now I want to use you to get what I need done for my purpose. When God invites us to become part of his work, we often face what some scholars call the crisis of belief. The crisis of belief is this. Do we believe that God can use us? We have to believe that God has called us to do certain things for his purpose. Specifically for me, I believe that as long as I stay in the center of God's will, I will succeed. Not because of me, but because of what God has already determined that he wants to do in and through me. He has, was gracious enough to invite me to be his servant to get it done. First point was focus on God's focus on God's power and focus on God's purpose. The fourth and final way to break free of the bondage of always feeling inferior is we need to focus on God's provision for us. Some of you all still aren't convinced that God can use you, so I got a scripture. Let's go ahead and read Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Let me ask you a question. What was so special about this staff? Do you know something? If God had done this today, we could buy staffs out of the Christian bookstore and people would be going around, throwing them, talking about, oh, I come in Jesus' name and ain't got and bit of power. And bit of power. Moses couldn't understand how God could use a nobody, yet through Moses' staff, the Lord showed that a God can turn a stick into a snake, can use anyone or anything. If we keep reading in chapter 4, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your, servant, pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor the future, since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Moses was telling the Lord, I'm not able. The truth is, no one is able. I'm not able, you not able. Moses wasn't able in his own power. But consider this portion of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Come on, let's read. God was saying to Moses that what's in your hand is not just a shepherd's staff. So my question to you tonight is what is it God has placed in your hand to do? I dare you to dedicate it to the Lord and let the Lord use it for his glory and you would be surprised. I'm getting ready to close, but another version of 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. May I submit to you that God has the sufficiency. God has the sufficiency for anything he sets before us to do. Our sufficiency is of God. When we struggle and allow ourselves to go through life with this feeling of being inferior, we allow the devil to put us in bondage. Not only that, but we allow the devil to use that as an excuse for hiding and not getting involved. The Bible says that Jesus came to set the captives free. I believe that by his grace, Jesus is able to deliver us from every form of bondage, even the feeling of inferiority. My question to you today is this. Will you allow the Lord to deliver you? Will you allow the Lord to take what's in your hand, take your finances, take your life, take your talents, take your abilities, take your weaknesses along with your strengths? 
Will you allow the Lord to take this and use it for his glory? One of my favorite scriptures is Philippians 4.13. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Through Christ. Through is a preposition which means a place that could be translated as I can do all things in Christ. I can all, do all things by Christ. I can do all things with Christ. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Amen. Amen. Everybody stand. <laughs>